Welcome to the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I unlock the mysteries of the beatific vision of God. This is the ancient yet ever-present path of discovering your inner freedom and unlimited potential to achieve your goals now. Check the episode description for a link to the podcast page at logosofexperienceandtruth.com where you can navigate this episode with time-stamped show notes. Let us begin. Welcome back as we delve further into this, the experience of the mysteries of Christ. When I ended last time, I had finished with the vision that I had explained as the ascension to the temple of the Father, and that I would explain why I call it the temple of the Father the next time. As I said, I even saw myself returning back through the roof of my house with my awareness returning to me, seated back in my chair. Amazed would be the word to describe what I felt at this point, of course. Now, what was interesting was my mind simply swept out over the horizon of religions and began to survey all the great religions in order to see and understand the symbolic language that described this very same truth that I just experienced regarding the ego, worldly mind versus that which lies beyond. Now, I haven't fully described in depth the breadth of how much of the world's religions I've studied, so I won't speak entirely about what I saw here yet. I will return to it since Seeing the symbolic nature of the texts and traditions beneath the theology, the foundation of the theology, and being able to take my mind beyond historical fact is difficult for those that haven't had such experiences, especially to understand and or accept. Let's simply say that I saw depth towards this mystical understanding of the destruction of the ego in order to experience the divine God within each of the great religions of the world. and. As a Catholic, the most important one that I saw probably and experienced was regarding Islam. As I said, I'm not entirely ready to discuss this yet, but I was amazed when I saw this interpretation, again, which may or may not be true to the Muslims that understand this, since this is based on my limited knowledge and study of the Quran and not a lifetime of or with the experience of it. Though I'd assume the Sufic order would understand my interpretation since typically what's found is that mystics agree where theologians do not. But I saw its truth through my own lens nonetheless. Differences of course remain, but I think suffice it to say that as a Catholic, acknowledging the contribution of Islam to these the mysteries is no small feat, and neither do I say this lightly. So we'll come back to this later, For there was some type of a vision or a visitation, a voice, regarding this in particular. Now, I just mentioned the idea of seeing beyond historicity and going beyond one's physicality and thus in one's understanding of physical history versus symbolic language is not as easy a state of mind to come to in order to break down and see the symbols within the text and the language. To help with this contrast or understanding that I'm trying to explain here, let's discuss real quick one of the parables or teachings, the gospel story of Christ that 
utterly dominated my mind during the sojourn in the desert of the soul and leading up to this, the ascension of the temple of the father experience. Something that I alluded to when I said I'd forgotten my 2001 experience. The purposeful forgetting of this experience in order to gain the true dark faith. It was because of what Jesus tells Doubting Thomas in the Gospel of John 20, line 28 to 29. Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. What I came to understand and what I'm alluding to here is that one should question if they believe in Christ because of the historicity of seeing him, of him actually having walked around. Because per these words of the Christ, he makes it seem as if you are not blessed if you believe for these reasons. Much how I was in a constant quagmire in the desert of the soul towards giving up my dependence on this visionary awakening experience in 2001 as the basis of my faith. Because in my mind, I had seen, and thus per the Lord's words, both to Thomas as well as to me reading the text, I was not blessed as those that believe without seeing. So the humblest way that I can show this is that while I would stand in mass and look at the other parishioners, wondering in my mind if they'd seen the mystical things I'd seen or if anybody else there had seen or experienced what I'd seen and experienced, I'd comment to myself about how much more powerful their faith seemed in comparison to my own, for they were in church believing without seeing, whereas I was in church having seen in order to believe. And I saw my faith, myself as a meager maggot that was so weak and requiring of such a tremendous saving grace that I needed to see in order to believe, whereas these champions of faith that surrounded me believed without seeing. But what this triggered in me was the inner awareness and intuition that there must have been a deeper understanding to Jesus' words than to doubting Thomas just as now, namely what I spoke to you of regarding worldly thought or thought rooted in the ego versus the thought that occurs and exists within the kingdom of heaven, touching the flesh versus believing that the flesh was real without touching. So I'll come back to all of this after we take a stroll and sojourn further a while and after you understand the great respect I have for the religions of the world, while also understanding while even after everything I will tell you that I've seen and understood, everything that I've read and studied, that I do remain Christian and Catholic and why the church's stance on there being streams of truth and the mystery of God found among the other religions of the world but that they all end and find their fulfillment in Christ, was and has only been strengthened in seeing and learning the great depths that I have been shown regarding especially the second person of the Blessed Trinity and how spectacularly precise our church fathers were in the formation of that Nicene Creed. And I'll leave this at that. So at this point, it's about 3 a.m. in the morning. And I realized, oh, I got to get to sleep. I think I had to go to work the next day. I can't remember. Maybe I called off or something. I can't actually remember that point because I was too focused on thinking about this. So I stumbled out of my man cave thinking about what I had seen. 
Obviously, my heart was uplifted, mind and soul felt awakened and renewed towards further, deeper contemplation of these symbols of this exact ego, shadow self within, and the destruction and renunciation of it that is required to kneel before the throne of God. And just as a precursor, this whole ego, shadow self, is what the entire next phase and portion of the spiritual journey was about for me. No longer just its destruction, but now its integration into the full and complete person. So I went through the door from my room into the garage, meandered out, and then stepped through the door from garage into the house into my laundry room. And from there, there's a little hallway with a window that looks out into our courtyard and into the sky. And I immediately noticed how bright the stars were just from this first little window. I rounded the corner from laundry room and hallway and stepped into the foyer between my front door and the French doors that lead into my courtyard. And I was stopped in my tracks looking at the brightest light I'd ever seen in the sky. Now, in order to address the skeptics before I tell you what I was looking at, it would do well if I discuss my stance on such things, especially as on astrology. Now, in as gentle a way of saying, up to this point, I'd seen the pursuit of astrological reasons for spiritual things as pretty much buffoonery, as the base level of spiritual understanding and seeking, as utterly beneath me, as having nothing to do with me, as being no different than seeking one's fortune in a fortune cookie. There are reasons for this stance. Again, I reference my spiritual teacher, John of the Cross. I've already mentioned turning away from my awakening experience, the quote-unquote sign that I had and vision in order to find the true, pure, dark faith. And thus, this means I also had to turn away from all the other signs. And if I can word it in a way that may make sense to you, I had turned away from all of the spiritual gifts that St. Paul speaks of. Or if we want to use esoteric or new age type of language had turned away from all of the spiritual powers that one is tantalized with during the expansion of the mind phase, which is the real reason why so many, so, so many never leave this phase of their spiritual development. The addiction to these spiritual, psychic, psychological powers that seem to manifest within and without you that seem to give a person power over the elements around them. This that is the basis for the ideas at the foundation of such things as sorcery and witchcraft. This is why the dryness, the aridity of the desert of the soul occurs because one no longer has these quote-unquote spiritual gifts, these powers anymore, or rather they are no longer affectatious. And from what I've seen and experienced, it's when one has entered the desert of the soul, but does not like it, and does not like that that apparent connection they may have felt with the spirit world is no longer there. This is when all manner of strange spiritual practices arise from those seeking externally to reconnect with that which was felt to be internal from the awakening experience. Yet the manner in which to go deeper is to contract instead of expand. In my case, going from reading absolutely everything during the expansion of the mind to narrowing my entire focus into the Catholic tradition. Now I'll get far deeper into this later, 
but a secular version of this understanding might help. This is entirely performance theory or the science of expertise, as it's also called, the understanding and practice of performance. The simplest way I've heard this is after reading the book called Peak of Stress plus Rest equals Growth or Gain or Expertise. So if all you do is expand and never contract, you won't gain. If all you do is contract and never expand, you won't gain. And thus the temptations of expansion, of the feeling of control and power over the universe that is essentially given by the devil while out in the desert, if you remember the temptations that were offered to Christ, regardless of whether or not you know you're in that desert, they keep one from finding the true light of faith within. Now, even before having learned these types of things from studying St. John of the Cross, I still thought astrology silly. And even in the pre-awakening phase, now this is not really a phase, just the time period for my sake I refer to as before my awakening experience. In a secular manner, astronomy or any of that kind of stuff was not anything that interested me. And if I sit here and I think about it, since leaving school, high school, college, I think I've only been to an observatory maybe once. I don't own a telescope. Nothing of the lights in the sky, space in that way. I mean, I like sci-fi stuff, but me looking up at the sky and wondering its relationship to myself and humankind in the manner in which the ancients were obsessively preoccupied with never resonated with me, even after studying the obsessions with which the ancients had towards studying the astrological movements above them. This simply was not something that ever resonated with me. So why is this important? Why was it important for me to basically tell you my entire stance in regards to that? Because as I was staring out of my French door window, witnessing this massive bright light in the sky that literally looked like it was pulsating in front of me, caused me to download the Google Sky Map. So I mean, there you even go right there. I didn't even have this on my phone. And right then and there, I decided to download it to see what I was seeing in the sky. When the app finished downloading and installing, and after doing the silly little hip-hop song chorus of front, back, side to side, twisting the phone to calibrate it, I looked into it to see what I was looking up at the sky. And the giant bright light was the planet Jupiter. And though I couldn't tell by looking at the stars themselves, what was interesting on this night was that the constellation Libra was perfectly surrounding the planet Jupiter. Or another way of saying it was that Jupiter was perfectly inside the constellation of Libra. Now why is this important? Because of what the constellation of Libra looks like. It looks like a house. Or in my case, like a temple. And the general associations with Libra are the scales, or the scales of balance. And obviously... Jupiter, having been named after the high sky father of the Greco-Roman gods, Jupiter, Zeus, inside of this, the constellation that looks like a house or a temple. As you can imagine, considering my previous stance regarding astronomical, astrological, spiritual phenomenon, I was stunned and stood there staring at this for quite some time, trying to wrap my head around what I was seeing. For this was an external sign, 
an external sign confirming what I had just experienced internally within my ascension to the temple of the Father vision that I explained in the previous recording. The planet Jupiter, the temple of the Father, inside of Libra, the scales, or the judge, or the Christ inside of the temple, for the Son is the Father, and the Father is the Son. I've mentioned many spiritual experiences I've had, many synchronous things occurring to me which are expressions of the internal and the external, and I will continue to do so. The microcosm within my mind, experiencing a similarity of thought with that which is in the external or the macrocosm. And we're going to continue to speak about this. I have a couple more to tell you just in this recording alone. But never, as far as I can remember, though I attempted to look up the sky charts of my experience in 2001 after this night, because on that night I'd seen a different planet the planet Saturn, but a Saturn that had rings that moved and rotated with the pain that came from that vision, which of course I will tell in detail in the future, since what's very interesting about the symbolism regarding Saturn, or Kronos, the father of Zeus, is that he became Father Time in the myths, and this awakening experience in 2001 was entirely about time eternal and everlasting in an excruciating way. But that was internal. Never had I seen a synchronous event in the external heavens themselves confirming the visionary experience I'd had internally. And never had this occurred instantly. There's usually a delay, a day or two before you think of something and then possibly see it in the environment surrounding you. Never this quick and never this grand. So I went to bed. It was about 3 a.m. or so at this point. And considering how tired I was, I don't think I was expecting to wake up as soon as I did. But I woke up about an hour later. It was 4.11 a.m. to write down the tons of dreams that somehow I'd had in that hour of sleep. From what I know, I thought you're not supposed to dream until a couple of hours of sleep. But this was massive dreaming within an hour of time. The first sequence of the dream was I was walking around a place and everybody around me was calling it Union City. It seemed to be somewhat of a representation of what you think of in San Francisco with windy roads and houses on hills and stuff like that. The dream went forward and I was driving in a car. I drove up a summit since I couldn't find parking and there were all these cars driving around in a circle up there. When I got there, there was a graveyard. As soon as I saw this and these meandering cars driving around, the dream switched to the next image. In this next dream sequence, I was talking to somebody that had just gotten a job at Costco. And since my dad works there and has been there for over 25 years, I was asking this person in the dream if they were union, since my dad's Costco is one of the old school price club warehouses that still provides union benefits. The next dream sequence involved me walking through a mall and I was trying to find something. It quickly went forward and the next image was I was in a store looking at a t-shirt with Voltron on it. And obviously, following the symbology of the previous dream sequences, Voltron forming together denotes and symbolizes union, or unity of separate parts. And for the deeper symbology, which is why Voltron has always been that mystical cartoon of my youth, the unity of Voltron is of the philosophic and hermetic manner of the elements. 
Fire, water, earth, wind, and the black lion represent space or the spiritual fire or ether. And thus the unity of Voltron in this dream represents the unity of the mystic. Next and final dream sequence had me on a bus driving back into this Union City again, though this time it looked more like a metropolis, almost Vegas-like with bright flashing lights and such. I knew it was Union City again since there was the green sign along the freeway with the name on it. Supposedly you're not supposed to be able to read in dreams, but I seem to read all the time in dreams and I read Union City on it. So basically every dream sequence was telling me that Union had been experienced, since honestly the vision had occurred so quickly and I'd been so astonished, especially by the external sign of the planet Jupiter in the house of Libra, that I hadn't even considered what it was that had occurred. And specifically, I hadn't thought that this had been the mystical union that I'd experienced. So specifically to the skeptic, I reiterate that I thought astrological types of readings to be a base type of spiritual experience or thought. Even in my notes from that morning, I was annoyed that the only things that mattered to those writing about astrological things were predictions for the future and not interpretations for the present or the past even which is what I cared about having experienced this in the present moment now and trying to see if there was some connection to having seen Jupiter in this vision versus seeing Saturn in my first awakening vision back in 2001. So I cared nothing for these types of things until this night. So again to the skeptic, I knew and had read and had experienced already a version of the ascending experience. So my seeing and experiencing that could definitely have been conditioned or probable for lack of a better term, considering all the ascending type of stories I'd read. An interesting note is that for all the hermetical stuff I'd read, since I'd mentioned the vision of Hermes prior, I'd actually never read that vision of Hermes, at least not up to this point. So it was very interesting that it was only after this experience that I came across that vision. Again, considering all the times I'd read Hermetic work, I did actually never come across the vision of Hermes. I was pretty stunned by that when I finally did come across it. But I know I'd read other ascending type of stories, but I did not know or have any care or awareness of astrological, heavenly signs, external of this nature at all. So believe me if you will or not. Basically what I'm getting at is that I did not see this external heavenly sign first, and then insert it into my understanding or imaginary internal visionary experience I'd had. It did not happen in that order. I wouldn't have cared to look up at the sky and look up what I was looking at prior to this night. And later on that day, just to give you a little bit more of those synchronous type of events that occur, if one is aware of them, I had another astrological heavenly sign. So it's kind of cute. I bought my daughter a Wonder Woman toy. It was one of the ones from the first movie. It was the toy when Wonder Woman is still in her training gear and the toy comes with a bow and arrow and it's a cool little toy for a girl because it fires the arrow and everything and my mind now being aflame from the night before seeing this toy reminded me of the constellation of Orion. So I thought to myself, I wonder if Orion is in the sky right now and sure enough I go outside, use the sky map and there Orion is on the heavens on that night at the point when I'd wondered if it was. Now let's go a little bit deeper into what might further astonish you, is what I will say now. In the preparation for these podcast recordings, I can't remember if I mentioned it in the first one, but I essentially gathered all of my writings, the entirety of what I've notated, into a single database. 
essentially 15, 16 years worth of documenting all of this. And while traversing through the desert of the soul, I'd experienced some type of a mirage, an oasis, a brief respite that I thought and felt was a resurrection of sorts, but never fully materialized at that time in my life since I wasn't ready to move forward fully yet. But I still wrote. I still wrote all the time, and I wrote about that. I just thought I was a complete failure at writing since I wasn't writing little stupid stories or screenplays versus the true meat and potatoes of writing I was daily doing, which was these, these encounters with the mysteries of God. And when I say I write, I mean journal writing. And the interesting thing is I'd write these journal entries, and I never reread them. One after the other, day after day, I'd write them down and wouldn't go back and read them. Year after year, the same process. Another interesting thing was I'd write with my eyes closed, since I didn't want to think about what I was writing and slow down the intuitive stuff that would sometimes come out. So sometimes... I'd get some very interesting spiritual things. Now again, I hadn't read any of these journal entries until just a couple of months ago when I finally constructed my own mental database of these 15-16 years of journal writings about spiritual things. So you can understand my shock when on April the 21st in 2009, I'd journal written about feeling as if the stars were in alignment, that I was following the path perfectly. I was asking the Holy Spirit to reveal itself, the bringer of wisdom, asking the Lord to say the word so that the chains holding me back were removed and that my life was revealed unto me. And the very next sentence in the journal entry was, I see the outlining of the planet Jupiter in my mind's eye for some reason, and a message coming to me from a ship of bright white light, and a captain aboard this ship that reminded me of my father that was giving some sort of thumbs up. And that was exactly what I wrote. April 21st, 2009. So was this some type of a prophecy of my own life in the future? Very interesting, is it not? Again, I'm trying to give the skeptical mind whatever ammo it desires in terms of trying to understand this because would and or could this single journal entry have somehow in the recesses of my mind created the imagery that I believe I had in my ascension to the temple of the Father vision nine years prior? and with never having thought or reread this a single time since? I don't know. You can question that yourself. But it's very interesting, is it not? And as we dive deeper into these talks, we will continue to see these types of interesting things. Similar patterns, every 10 to 12 years type of things, because I've sat and notated all of it. And along with this, I will be positing and discussing various theories regarding that inner voice, that light of reason, the inner conscience, the way the church calls it, and the various thoughts I've had regarding this voice as an angel, a spirit, a demon at times, and most interesting when I've thought it to somehow be the voice of myself 
at a future point, somehow existing concurrently in my mind in the present. Now obviously, this is not something for the beginner of meditation on mystical things to ponder and wonder upon, since this requires being able to see, know, and recognize that not all of one's thoughts in one's minds are one's thoughts in one's mind, while at the same time being entirely one's thoughts in one's mind. A little bit of a paradox there for you to ponder upon. So some final thoughts. Obviously, in the contemplation of these occurrences, all within a 24 to 36 hour period, I've had many different things to think about. So one obviously has to have the symbolic meanings of that particular light in the sky being that particular planet, having that particular name from the Roman pantheon of gods, and know that its name is the ancient Greco-Roman world's name for the father of the gods, along with the constellation and its meanings, etc., since, well, not every culture has the same meaning or attributes associated with these things in the sky. And even after seeing these things and trying to look up different quote-unquote readings for what it all meant, again, the final thought I had, I think still rings true regarding astrological types of events, that they help us to denote place and time in the present moment, and the associations we give them mean things to us based on the symbology that we know. Now, one of the key foundational ideas that I've come to regarding this that we'll discuss further that you will hopefully see and understand is how the symbolism that one sees is what one sees and why if I can word it properly this early in the talks, why you are exactly where you are because you are exactly where God wants you to be. Country, language, culture, parents, everything. And in my case, Western civilization with all its symbols and deep mystical and religious history that surrounds me, especially since I've taken the time to learn as much about that as I can. So when you meditate and accomplish essentially what meditation is meant to accomplish, as Pythagoras states, when you've experienced the Philosopher's Stone, that there's nothing about your past that you would want changed. Since for any deviation, if there was any deviation, it would mean not attaining to the Philosopher's Stone, including all pain and sufferings. Now, a lot of that is my own paraphrase, of course, but he says something to that order. At least that's what I interpret it. So in my own words, when you meditate deeply enough and are no longer bound to the idea of fate, which is the Western concept, or karma, the Eastern concept, then you begin to understand, in the way that I like to think about it, that I must have had a meeting with God or something before I entered into this world about where I should go and to which parents I would be born to and why. Now, I know that sounds kind of funny, but meditating to such a depth as to asking why you were born during the time you were born, now that's especially important once you understand eternity, in the country to which you were born to, the parents you were born to, doing this helps release one from so many bonds of the anguish of the past that I highly recommend one doing so when you are ready. And entertaining the fact that like Odysseus, choosing his next life the way Plato wrote it, carefully examining it, 
drinking only the required amount from the river Lethe while others drank greedily and forgot all the lessons of the previous life, so too does one gain many lessons if one accepts the life they have as having been the life they themselves chose from before their birth, and that it was not a consequence of fate or karma or some type of force or power to which one is subject to instead of its master. It's a difficult concept, of course, to accept, especially if one is suffering, I understand. Suffering miserably and possibly suffering miserably at the hands of another, which is why I stated, only if it's a meditation you're prepared to do. Though what I found, just as the suffering Christ teaches, is once one accepts the suffering, even if apparently unjust, it's as if the intensity or the calamitous nature of the suffering begins to fade in the external world, since it's already fading away in the internal world. It may take years for this to occur, of course, but in secular terms, it's the process of changing the state of victimhood in the mind into the state of acceptance and then ownership of the experience in the mind. Or in the ancient language, the transmutation of one state of mind and the perception of that state of mind into another, more desirable one. We will return often to the true alchemy of turning lead into gold, the lead of an undesirable memory or experience, into seeing it differently and changing it at will within your mind, the transmutation of this within. I'll probably get into this in depth when we discuss the luminous mysteries for those that pray the rosary, for every single one of those luminous mysteries involve the transmutation of one substance into another by the Christ. So this concludes the ascension to the temple of the Father, both the internal vision as well as the external astrological timestamp or imprint that confirmed externally in a way the experience I had internally. Next time I will dive deeper into many of the things I've touched upon throughout explaining this the ascending experience. Until then, thank you for listening. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. I have close to a thousand pictures at logosofexperienceandtruth.com under the vision section that show what is perceived by the human mind during a mystical experience. Every culture across the entirety of time has depicted the experience with the same foundational pattern, including science in modernity. Click the link in the episode description or search for logosofexperienceandtruth.com so you can see for yourself and confirm or refute my claims. Please share this podcast with those that are like-minded and click a like on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you again. <laughs>